Hello, and welcome to the Harrogate Food Show with me, Ben Wright from Rudding Park Hotel. Today I'm joined by Fiona Slight, the passionate head gardener at Rudding Park. She's on the show to tell you how and what to grow in a chilly winter. Hello, my name's Fiona Slight. I am head gardener at Rudding Park. I've been a gardener for the last 30 years, um, starting off on what was the youth training scheme, working in a very small garden in a place called Dunbar in Scotland. And then I basically worked in lots of different places over the years, the Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh. I spent some time in New Zealand working in a nursery in Auckland and travelling around. And then I've also worked at Askham Brown College teaching students there. And previously, before Rudding Park, I was in charge of a large walled garden um, in a garden called Mount St John, which is near Thirsk. I am obsessive about gardening and I absolutely love growing fruit and vegetables. It's definitely my favourite thing. Thank you for coming on the show. That's exactly why I brought you on, because I wanted someone who's passionate and who cares. Especially when it comes to the food part, because that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to start off. I'm going to ask you what kind of things you're growing in the kitchen garden. Uh, you know, what's popular, your favorite things to grow. Obviously, you don't have to answer them all at once, but just any things that you like in the kitchen garden. Yeah. Um, so the sort of things we're growing in the kitchen garden at the moment, obviously it's very much winter vegetables. Um, so they need planning quite a long way in advance because a lot of winter vegetables need a long time to grow. Um, so we are growing, we have things like celeriac. We have, um, we've just finished the leeks actually. Uh, we also have uh, Jerusalem artichokes, which are ripe and ready to go and ready to dig up when the hotel gets going again. Um, we're also growing kale, we have some uh, winter mustards as salad leaves, which are absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we've got a bit of spinach growing as well, although we'll need to protect that soon. Um, and we also have quite a few apples and pears and a bit of quince still in so- storage, uh, which obviously will be used gradually over the winter. Um, so th- those are the main things. We've also got some uh, uh, micro leaves uh, that we grow on in the glass house, just as a little extra um, for garnishes and, and for other bits and pieces that are needed in the kitchen as well. Um, yeah, what I've noticed is just such a variety. and uh, People don't realise how much you can still grow in, in really cold months. Yes. Uh, if you've got the right equipment and you've got the knowledge, you can really make the most of that, I'd say, the dead season. Yes, exactly, yes. And, and our aim very much is to grow something all year round so that we've got something to give to the kitchens 12 months of the year. Um, so obviously in the winter it does slow down a bit, but um, we can still we've still managed to get something to the kitchens that's fresh. Yeah, this is Britain, so we've learnt to adapt and grow some very strange vegetables. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, and we do grow um, things that uh, are then used uh, that get I believe get preserved in the kitchen too. So. Um, we've got little things like the yuzu, which we've grown in the glass house, which um, will get prepared and preserved and used gradually. And also the licorice as well will be another one. We, we have a couple of licorice plants, which we, we've literally just dug, dug up a few weeks ago and they're go- they'll get used in the kitchen and preserved and then be used over the winter. Yeah, it's really interesting because 
well, I'm obviously a chef there, but when I started working in the in the kitchen, you don't realize what what is possible to grow. Like things like licorice, you just never think of. And ch- ch- t- uh, turmeric as well. It's a bit of a yes. tongue twister. Turmeric, you don't realize you can actually grow these things quite easily in England. Yes. Um, and I think people are starting to swing swing more towards these kind of edgy ingredients. Yes. And and in a way, um, although global warming is not a good thing, it has actually enabled us in Britain to grow more things that we didn't used to be able to grow. Um, As in the turmeric, uh, that I think maybe 10 years ago, people would have said not a chance. So, but yeah. now it's uh, we got a reasonably good root off it this this year. So it, yeah, especially in the north as well. Yes, I was surprised about. Yes, yeah, exactly. Is there any kind of projects or ideas that are coming up soon? Um, well, we're just about to uh, we're going to dig up some of our rhubarb, which desperately needs um, splitting and then replanting elsewhere in the kitchen garden. And when we do that. Um, that bed we are then going to dig over and use for sea kale, um, which we grew from seed last year uh, and is is now getting to quite a nice size. So it's it's quite a slow plant to mature. So it'll probably be next year before we can actually start who, um, harvesting from it. Um, but it's it's just a, a wonderful vegetable, um, quite unusual, but just has the most amazing taste. Um, and when you blant, um, especially when you force it with using rhubarb forces, uh, forces it's just it has the most beautiful tender leaf that's really wor- well worth growing. So we'll be putting some of that in um, over the winter as well. Um, is is there anything else that can force any other vegetables? Uh, we force the rhubarb. Admittedly, our rhubarb gets forced outside, so we don't get it as quickly as you would get the rhubarb from uh i've forgotten the name of the company um old droids old droids rhubarb that's it yeah so they obviously they force their rhubarb in in huge sheds and so they're slightly warm and uh, we we can't provide that but the rhubarb we force outside in the forcing pots is still lovely it just takes a bit longer it's a little bit later to um come but yes we do we do force that we're, we're also going to grow um some uh salad leaves uh on deeves and uh chicory and that sort of thing and they do quite well um forcing as well so that's something that's going to be quite a new thing for us next year but that that's something we're going to work on um for late summer most probably late summer early autumn is there any advice you could give on sowing and germinating or any mistakes that are easy to make that you miss out um so the most important thing to think about when sowing seeds and for germination um is to read the packet um and if there aren't any instructions on the packet look it up um i think that's a mistake an awful lot of people make they just think they can throw it on some compost water it and they'll all come up but you need to know the temperature that the seed likes to germinate at um you need to know how much moisture they prefer um you need to know whether they need daylight or don't need daylight because some some seeds like daylight and some don't so you need to know what they prefer um so it's really important some seed um you might need to soak it before you sow it because it needs to um 
have a bigger moisture content to get it going. Uh, and and some seed, not not generally in fruit and vegetables, but there are, there are some seed that you need that actually need fire or smoke to aid germination as well, which is um, quite important. So it's very important to research before you sow. Is there anything you'd recommend growing uh, in someone's small back garden? Doesn't take too much hassle. Um, so in a small back garden, um, you can, I mean, you can grow. They, they've got you can get these things called uh, square meter beds where you basically just make a little planter or bed that's a square meter in size. Uh, and you can grow a variety of different things. You can have uh, salad leaves. You could grow things like peas or beans that go upright. So not taking up that much space on the bed. Um, and the, I mean, they're amazing just picking straight off the vine and, and eating fresh. So well worth growing. Things like dwarf French beans are, are fantastic for a small space and you can get a lot of beans off, you know, maybe even only three or four plants. Um, so that's quite good as well. Uh, baby carrots are quite a good one for a small space uh, and taste amazing. Um, you can even get um, things like cauliflowers and cabbages that are small you know you can get small varieties now so although normal cauliflowers and cabbages do take up a lot of room you can get smaller ones that you can put in um yeah small areas it but it it does depend on what you like to eat um there's no point growing something that you're not going to eat you need to think about what you like and what you want to eat that that's that's very important so that's one thing you just going back to what you said about carrots is People don't realise how nice a carrot can be when you have a proper... Now it's called a heritage carrot. Obviously, that was how it used to be grown. But now these kind of mass-grown carrots, they just taste really bland compared to one you'd grow yourself. It's a yeah. massive difference. People don't realise. Yeah, yeah. No, no, they... they, t- they... I think also it's, it's when you have the carrot fresh out of the ground. Um, sometimes carrots that have been harvested commercially... It can be days or even weeks before you actually eat them. And, well, with any vegetable, the perfect time pretty much to eat it is straight away, um, which, you know, it's the best way, you know, just literally just pull it out of the ground and eat it. <laughs> and that's yeah, why they taste the freedom so to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. It's very satisfying as well because we grow a few things at home especially tomatoes that's a classic but pulling one of those straight off the vine and chucking it straight in a salad yeah it's quite rewarding but when i was a child i didn't like tomatoes at all until i started growing them myself and the difference with picking a tomato straight off the plant and eating it to, to one that's been bought in a shop and in a lot of cases hasn't been ripened properly before it's been picked because of the shelf life it's just there's just no comparison um it, you know the the taste is just completely different especially when the tomato is just slightly warm um yeah which sometimes they're not when they you know so many people put tomatoes in the fridge uh, yeah that's a sin cardinal sin yes <laughs> yeah so the best way to taste a tomato is straight off the plant <laughs> again Definitely. I, it's the same the ones you get in the pack of six i I used to I used to hate those as a as a kid as well. They're yeah. really they just taste really plasticky. And you yes. don't really notice until you try some really proper tomatoes. Tomatoes can be really really nice. Yes, yeah, exactly. They they 
far better grown at home and uh, and eaten at home. And and that's the whole thing about seasonality as well. Um, if you if you eat something in when it's in season, when it's meant to be in season, it tastes a huge amount better than something that has been grown um, at the wrong time of year, basically uh, for, for yeah. the plant. So um, yeah. Very nice. Is there any places that you, um, like websites or, or books that you've learned from that have really helped shape your career? Um, well, I used um, the RHS website a lot, actually. Um, it's very informative. Um, I, I don't always go along with what they say, but um, in general, the advice they give is is a really good starting point um especially if you're just starting out there's an awful lot that there's an awful lot of advice you can get on the website which is completely free you don't have to be a member or anything and um it, it's just a really great place to start and and build up your knowledge um books wise um, again another one it was uh, it's an rhs a to z of garden plants um if you need to know about plant most common ones will be in those books they're, they're quite expensive but they're if you're, you're really serious about gardening they're a really good one um to go i to. think in the long run as well investing in a good book it, it saves you a lot of time and hassle in the long run oh yes if, yeah. you, if, if you if you do something right in the first place in gardening the amount of heartache and pain it can save you in the long run is just insane yeah yeah exactly um and the the other one i would look at it's um it's a a gentleman called charles dowding uh who is uh, basically a guru of um fruit and vegetable growing um and he's developed a, a technique called no dig which um is fantastic but not only that, he he's got so much knowledge when it comes to growing fruit and vegetables, um, and and so any of his books are well worth uh, looking at and reading. Um, there's just a fountain of knowledge in them, and um, and it's all very sensible and very practical as well. Yeah, see, switch of topic. Uh, I've always used, you know, the toilet roll uh, cardboard, the cardboard in the middle. Yes. I've always used those to garden with just to save a bit of money. Is there any other tips that you could give using limited equipment and tools that would be good for home gardeners? Um, so I'm the same. I use toilet roll too. Um, for any any kind of pea or bean, um, toilet rolls are fantastic um, to use. Yeah. So that, that's one thing I've used. Um, an old-fashioned technique from my childhood uh we used to use uh, yogurt pots for labels. So you can cut the yogurt pots up um, into strips and then just write on the yogurt pots um, as labels, you know, so that saves you some money in labels. Obviously, it's plastic. So in this day and age, it's a case of having to be careful when you finish with them, making sure that they go into the plastic recycling afterwards. Um, yeah. But it, that would save you an awful lot of money in labeling. And labeling is just so important. You need to know what you're growing, especially when you're starting out. Because it's very easy to forget um, mm. what you've put in. Um, another good one um, is making your own compost and leaf mold. If you if you've got access to any kind of leaves, it's just the best thing you can do. Um, the more leaves you can collect, the better. 
And again, you don't have to have a huge amount of area to collect them in. You can use an old compost bin or I use an old builder's bag and I just put them in the builder's bag until I can't get any more in. Um, poke a few holes in the bottom just to allow drainage and then you just pop it in a corner somewhere and let them rot down. And leaf mould is just the best thing to put on a bed or to dig in when you're preparing soil ready for planting. Um, it's fantastic. And if you can get the leaves for nothing, it's a free resource um, to use. So that that's a, an, another good thing to to go up to go at. Yeah, those big bags of compost are so expensive when you think about the fact you can basically make your own with what a few days of effort of collecting leaves and you just leave them there. Yeah. So, I mean, how long would you leave leaf mold for? Well, you need to leave it at least a year. It's it's not a quick process. Uh, but once you start doing it and you start collecting them every year, then you just have a continual source all the time. Um, and, and once you've used it, you'll wish you had more <laughs> because unfortunately <laughs> you never get enough. It never makes enough. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's uh, well worth doing if, if if you've got the space to do it. It's well worth doing. Um, and it, I use it. Um, I use it on the tops of my vegetable beds. And if I have any left over after that, I use it to mulch my beds and borders in my garden as well. But I do make compost too. We have got our garden's too small, unfortunately. So I wish we could, but we can't. Because otherwise, there'd just be a big pile of compost in the middle of the garden. <laughs> so it's been dedicated to borders. It's a very border-filled garden. Right. Yes. So yeah. we, 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 we've got a bit of an extension at the moment, so we might actually be able to uh, fit it in, in in between a few gaps, but we'll see. Hopefully yeah. we can. Yeah. I mean, even if you can get a small compost bins, you can get quite small compost bins um, and just pop yeah. them in a corner. If, if you have maybe two or three, and then you can just alternate between them um, as you use the compost. And you can actually get... Um, compost activator which will produce it quicker so you can have a, a faster turnaround of your compost and as you empty it you just use it straight away you know mulching or uh, whatever you need to use it for um, yeah so you can do that in in a small space so obviously you're not going to produce masses but uh, if it's a small garden you won't need masses so if you were going to grow a kitchen garden at home is there any kind of no-goes or things to avoid so you don't have the hassle in the long run um well i'm a great believer in raised beds um mainly because i'm quite lazy now um i'm i'm not i'm not into digging um because i'm lazy uh, and also because I feel that if you, you dig the soil, you're actually breaking it up and you're ruining the little ecosystem that's in the soil because the soil is an ecosystem. Um, so if you start breaking it up, all those little animals and microorganisms get disturbed and they have to start again from scratch to make up their homes and, and how everything works. So I prefer raised beds and I prefer to just add... Um, my compost manure everything well rotted of course onto the top and just adding a couple of inch layers you know, about five centimeter layer to the top and just letting um the animals that are in the soil do the work for me and they break it down and it goes into the soil and that way you produce the most beautiful soil to work with um especially with especially for fruit and veg yeah 
It, it, it saves you back in the um, long run as well because there's, there's not as much bending over probably if you've got a high bed. Saves you, yeah, exactly. It saves your back, saves your time. It's just a much better way of doing it. And and it's been proved that the yield, the vegetable yield you get is better from no dig than it is from when you dig the soil. So yeah. it, it, they're not scientific trials, but the the way it's been done, they've they've weighed the amount of vegetables that come out of both areas and it you get a, a higher yield from the no dig. So that that's something go. I would do. I'd I'd advise not to dig if you can help it. When you're starting out, you you do need to dig the soil to get going because you need to get rid of any um, perennial weeds like dandelions and docks and nettles. Um, but once you've got those out of the way and you've got nice clear soil, um, you're you're laughing. It, it's quite easy after that. So. Very nice. And also um, another reason for not digging is because you're not disturbing the soil. So you're not exposing weed seeds to germinate and grow. So that there, there are less weeds. <laughs> yeah. When I worked down in the kitchen garden, I didn't realize how, how many weeds could actually grow. Even with constant, constant care, they, they never stop. So no. it's something that you've got to really take care of. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. You can't stop weed seeds blowing in. <laughs> or birds, <laughs> birds um, using birds droppings on the soil. Quite often, there'll, there'll be seeds in them as well. So yeah, it, really? It, oh, right. okay, yes, yeah. you, you can still get uh, you, you will still get weeds, but not as many as if you were turning the soil over. All the elements are against you: snails, <laughs> <Yeah>. birds, everything. <laughs> oh yes, yes, slugs are a big problem in the kitchen garden. Nice. Um, <laughs> Are there any? I'm going to go into a bit of gardener's world inspiration. Is there any jobs for the weekend that you'd recommend? Anything you need to do? Um, so things that I would do for the weekend. So just general gardening wise. Um, if you've got any bulbs, I'd get them in the ground soon. Um, especially, especially uh, it's perfect time for tulips. So anyone who's not put tulips in, you've still got time. If you get on with it now, you can get them in, and they're just tulips are just so fantastic in the spring the color that they bring is just amazing so so yeah so you've still time to to get on and plant bulbs um the other thing i would suggest is that everybody in the autumn everybody feels like they need to get everything tidy in the garden um lifting all the leaves cutting back everything i don't think you need to i think certain areas are good to tidy you know where you've got paths and maybe the edges of borders but i think you know the backs of the borders just leave them just leave it till the spring because you're providing areas of cover for wildlife and insects um to shelter over the winter so just just being a little little standing back just a little and letting things do their thing um and then going on going in in the spring and then tidying things i think is a much better idea um and the other thing i'd do is i um i'd start a leaf mold pile or a bag or just somewhere where you can put leaves and to rot down um because they really do um make a difference to your garden i mean to be honest we've got a big oak tree but i've heard rumors that oak leaves aren't very good for leaf mold i don't know if that's true or not no i need to google that yeah but... no they are um but they all, all right. they all well funnily enough some trees um you've got ph in the soil um so you can have acid soil or you can have alkaline soil now 
some plants like acid, some like alkaline, some will grow in just about anything. Um, and trees, the leaves from trees can actually dictate um, the pH sometimes of a soil. Um, so, for example, quite a lot of uh, conifers, the, the needles from the conifers are very acidic and can actually make a more acidic soil. Um, so it may be that people have said to you, the, the reason people say that with oak leaves is because actually oak leaves, um, I believe that they, they're more acidic. Um, so perhaps oak leaves rotting down um, in one big pile would make a much more acidic type of leaf mould, which may not be very good if you're growing plants who like alkaline. Um, but yeah. you can combat that if you can get other leaves and you mix them all in together, you can then make a much more uh, sort of a neutral leaf mould. Um, oh, right, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, no, any leaves are fine. Um, it's just a case of making sure you rot down properly before you use them. Um, unfortunately for for us we've just got one big tree and nothing else one big so tree. we'll have to we'll have to take some from the neighbors or something yeah yeah I mean, if you're really struggling you can just put the leaves into your normal compost and mix them in and it'll still oh yeah that's a good lovely, idea it's it would still produce a lovely um compost to put on your garden so you know it, it would be fine win-win yeah win-win <laughs> is there any plants you'd recommend that you could grow indoors um so things i like to grow indoors um i'm very fond of amaryllis which are well basically in garden centers now um and you pot them on now and generally you can get them in flower for christmas they're fantastic um, they're just the m massive pink or white or um sort of purpley colors uh, they just look amazing they're just big big bulbs and they really stand out so they're very good um other other plants that another plant that i quite like as well is is a thing called sansevieria which is the mother-in-law's tongue um and it's very uh it it has quite long strap shaped uh leaves which are succulent uh, quite spiky at the end hence mother-in-law's tongue um <laughs> but they're um they, they they've done research into mother-in-law's tongue and it's actually one of the best house plants you can have um for helping with air quality in your rooms that they, they produce a lot of oxygen um and take in a lot of carbon dioxide from your rooms and and so it's actually a really beneficial one to have in your house um so i like it for that and it's very architectural as well um and yeah. then cactuses cactuses are so easy to grow and they just look amazing on the windowsill you know they, they they're a great uh very easy thing to to have in the house and they quite you know you can get some quite unusual um shapes and sizes which are well worth yeah, i mean succulents seem to look so good in, indoors i don't know what it is maybe it's just because they're so used to it in britain <laughs> that yeah. every single house has a succulent in it but it works really well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can, you can, you can ignore them to a, a certain point, and they'll be fine, which is great. You know, so if you don't have an awful lot of time, then a cactus is quite a nice plant to have. Yeah, not too much watering. So I yeah. say. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm going to end it here because we're nearly at 30 minutes, which is absolutely wow. bang on. Um, Good. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a really appreciated. I've learned a lot. No problems. It's been fun. Thanks for listening. To listen again, Google That Chef Ben slash 
the Harrogate Food Share. You can also listen on Harrogate Community Radio, Harrogate Hospital Radio and Spotify.